Good morning and welcome one and all. Glad to see you here this morning. How many of you remember to bring your uh, lawn chair? No. <laughs> Michael forgot his. All right, it's okay. It is okay because uh, we have everything that you are going to need out there. So if you brought your own chair, great. Uh, we're going to be out uh, the doors this direction following the service for our picnic. Uh, we invite anyone and everyone that is here. Uh, if you're watching later on this week online, tough. You're out of luck. Sorry. No food. Um, but the rest of you that are here, that's great. Uh, you can uh, exit out the back and go uh, through the doors to the right here. If you need to go to your car and get your chair, you can walk around the, the yard over that way. Uh, we're going to congregate over here. Uh, the food will all be there uh, for you to partake in, all of the things that you need, the silverware, the plates, napkins, all that stuff. So you did not need to bring anything except uh, really yourself. But if you wanted to bring your own chair, that's awesome. We will have some uh, other chairs out there, probably not as cozy as your like folding rocking chair stuff, but hey, it's, it's a seat and uh, you can enjoy that. Otherwise, uh, God has given you another option for a chair out there, all right? And uh, so you can have a seat uh, in the grass if you'd like, that's fine. Uh, we are glad that you're here this morning to worship with us. A couple other announcements I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, as Pastor Mark has already mentioned, last chance for pictures. Once uh, the service is over this morning, uh, you can head back there. I will be there to take uh, some last-minute pictures. Uh, otherwise, on the 31st is the last day to email or bring to the office uh, a picture that you would like to have in the directory instead. And we will make sure that we get all of that uh, compiled. And uh, sometime here later on in uh, the fall, we'll be able to publish those books and get those to you. So you can uh, see who's who. Because honestly, that's probably one of the more important things for us is uh, we, we've got a faith family that has uh, morphed since 2016, which is when we had our last picture directory. And uh, so we have some new faces we're anxious to, to put names to and all that for, for those of you. Because let's be honest, how many of you over here have ever sat over there? Right, I, I caught all of you, all right? So we know how that goes. We're going to put some names to some faces and it'll be fabulous. Uh, with that next Sunday, the 4th of September, uh, we will have a church service at 11 o'clock. Uh, and uh, junior church and all that goes with our 11 o'clock service. However, there will be no Sunday school next Sunday. So if you show up at 930, uh, good for you. You're early. Uh, 11 o'clock, we're going to have the service. So 930s, I guess you get to do a, a, a car Bible study or something like that. Uh, while you wait until 11, all right? So that is next Sunday, no Sunday school classes. And then on the 11th, the week after that, we have a membership class following the service with lunch provided. If you are interested in becoming a member, you're interested in baptism, uh, or you already are a member but would like to learn a little bit more about our church, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to come and, and learn those things uh, and uh, just improve i guess what you know about our church who we are why we do what we do all those kinds of things uh will be shared at that class on september the 11th at 12 30 uh in the afternoon with lunch provided uh other than that i would encourage you uh awana and youth group is starting up not this wednesday but the following wednesday last wednesday we had an awana leaders meeting uh which was uh, fabulously attended it might have something to do with the pizza from what i heard um so this Wednesday, youth leaders meeting. I guess I should offer pizza, and, and they'll show up. 
But uh, youth leaders, we're going to have our meeting uh, this Wednesday at 630. I encourage you to come be a part of that. And then the following, which would be September the 7th, Awana and Alive Student Ministries uh, kick back off. Uh, it's a little bit goofy. Let me explain. Teens, 615 to 745 like normal. Got it? All right. Awana. It's a little bit different. It's an open house style. It's kind of an introduction to come and get your materials, uh, meet teachers, uh, go see your room, those kinds of things uh, in an open house style fashion. Uh, it'll be open from 6.15 to 7.45. So whatever time works best for your family, uh, mom, dad, come with your kids, come on in. Uh, you'll be directed to the appropriate table uh, to get all of the supplies and things that you need for regular Awana starting on the 14th, okay? So when you come the 14th, you've got your book, you got your bag, you got your vest, all those things, and are ready to uh, enjoy all that Awana has to offer, all right? Other than that, I uh, would invite you to stand as we have our call to worship this morning. The call to worship comes from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. It reads like this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 John. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that would be on page 1021. 1021. As you're turning there, would you just uh, bow with me for a moment of prayer? <clears throat> Father, would you prepare our hearts to accept your word? Please silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. 
Question 22 in the New City Catechism asks the question, why must the Redeemer be truly human? Answer, that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like brothers, like his brothers, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, or to satisfy the wrath of God on the sins of the people. Question number 23 asks, why must the Redeemer be truly God? Answer, that because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus had to be both human and divine, both man and God. These are two points of doctrine, two points of teaching that are essential. They are non-negotiable for the Christian faith. However, there are two errors in false teaching that, that are related to Christ in this matter. One is seeing Jesus as only God and not human. Or seeing Jesus as only human and not God. The first denies the humanity of Jesus, seeing him as only God. The second denies the deity of, of Jesus, seeing him as only human and not God. Did I say that backwards? Let me try that again. The first sees Jesus as only God, so denies the, the humanity. The second denies the deity by seeing him as only human and not God. As we come to 1 John, the, the writer here, the Apostle John, is writing this letter to combat false teaching. False teaching about Jesus, false teaching about Christianity. And this was done at a time when what's called Gnosticism was on the rise. Gnosticism is a belief that in part believes that salvation, one writer summarizes it this way, salvation was through a secret superior knowledge granted to the initiated. Gnostics believe that, that uh, again, in part, we're summarizing here, believe that, that the body or all of matter was evil, but the immaterial part of us, the spirit, was good. You might say, what does this have to do with anything this morning? Well, this is in conflict with what the Bible has to say about, well, what the Bible has to say, but also what the Bible says about Jesus. See, if, if the body is evil, if matter is evil, if we just need to, to throw off the body and all that matters is the immaterial, then you can't have the incarnation. You can't have God taking on flesh, right? That would be incompatible with what is good. They believed that, that Jesus, um, so then, they would have believed that Jesus did not have a literal physical human body. Though he was God, though he's from God, uh, and though he appeared to be human, he was some sort of phantom. He, he, was, he didn't have 
what it appeared. He, he was, they were denying the humanity of Jesus, which again is in conflict to what the Bible says. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word is referring to Jesus dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So there was a denial of his humanity. On the other hand, some taught that Jesus was born a human, but was not divine. Only because, um, that, that, that Jesus only became Christ or became Messiah at a later point, uh, related to his baptism when the, the Holy Spirit descended. But then they believe that on the cross, the spirit departed. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? That's what they believed. Due to the suffering that the, the spirit departed. And so Jesus then died as a mere man. Right? Again, denying his deity. Also disregarding Jesus's own words, his own confession. Jesus said of himself that he was from the father. He said that he was sent from the father. He said that he was the father's son. He said that he was one with the father. This teaching that would deny his deity obliterates the atonements. It obliterates the, the work of Jesus on the cross. Why? Because no mere man can die for the sins of the world. Jesus had to be God in order to pay for our sins. See, if Jesus were not God, he could not have come as a baby. He could not have lived a sinless life. He could not have paid the debt for our sin. And he could not have rose again. Jesus had to be God. But Jesus also had to be human. If he were, if he were not human, he, he could not identify with humanity. He couldn't know what it's like to be, to be you or to be me. He could not have truly suffered on the cross. If he did not have a human body, if he did not experience the, 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 the weight and the pain that was associated on the cross, he couldn't have done what he did. And he could not have died physically. If you don't have a, a physical human body, you can't die a physical human death. Jesus had to be human, truly God and truly man. Hebrews chapter four captures this when it writes this, when the writer says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Deity. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Humanity. So now we come to John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is referred to as a, a prologue or a, a preface or an introduction to the letter. As we will read it, if you're familiar with other letters in the New Testament, you'll find that the greeting, there is no greeting. <laughs> you'll find that there isn't this warm, personal connection with a group of people that we see when, when Paul writes a letter and he talks about how much he loves them and he's praying for them and he wants to be with them. We don't see any of that here. But what we do see is John proclaiming these truths of a, of a real Christ and then stating the purposes of his letter. Let's read together or listen as I read. Follow along in verse one. That which was from the beginning... That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim 
also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. First, we see in verse 1, we see two truths that John writes about the person of Jesus. And we'll see a third in verse 2. But the first is just that, that, that Jesus is God. Look at it again. That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. The word that refers to the end of verse 1, the word of life. That which was from the beginning. And then in verse 1, concerning the word of life. In verse 2, he refers to it as eternal life. In verse 3, we find out who this person actually is. It's Jesus. That which was from the beginning. Jesus was from the beginning. John is writing to us about Jesus. He's writing to us about, about Jesus, who is the word of life, who is eternal life. Jesus is life, and he was from the beginning. This speaks of, of pre-existence, or the, the pre-dawn of time, from the beginning. John does not say that which began. He says that which was from the beginning. Jesus was from the beginning. He was before the foundations of the earth. In fact, in Genesis 1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We find a little bit later that the Holy Spirit was there. And we find out a little bit later that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, were involved in the making of creation. The New Testament affirms just that, that Jesus was there. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. And this cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. We must understand that Jesus is, in fact, God. John's point in verse 1 is just that. He continues in the rest of verse 1 to tell us that Jesus is also man. Which you have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now John is using a plural here. He's not saying which I have, have heard, which I have seen, which I have looked upon. He's saying we, uh, possibly or probably, writing as, as a collective as the, the apostles had, had witnessed these things. He was an eyewitness, or one writer calls him an, an ear witness to, to Jesus. They, they, they heard things, they saw things, they, they touched things. Now notice that progression, right? Hearing, seeing, touching. Right? This is a, 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 pro, a progress, a gradations, a rising gradation from hearing to seeing to touching. It's one thing to hear something and believe it. Right? It's, it's another thing to, to see something and believe it, and still another to, to touch and see it. And John is saying they had all of it. The apostles could testify with firsthand knowledge of what they had heard, what they saw, what they felt. In Luke chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, we read, Then turning to the disciples, he, that's talking about Jesus, privately said this, Blessed are the eyes that, have, that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. The apostles 
saw, they heard, they looked upon. In, in here in verse, look at verse 1, you can see um, that which we heard, which we have seen. Go down to verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. Then go to verse 3. That which we have seen and heard. Three times in three verses, John is pointing out this idea of seeing. I think that's a, an emphasis. That's an emphasis. John is making note of something. They have seen it. They have witnessed it. This word see or seen is to see with understanding. It means to have careful attention and examination. It's not just something that they, they, they just saw. It was something they experienced, something that they knew something about, and even touched. Luke chapter 24, verse 39, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He's meeting with his disciples, and he says this, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Like Jesus is no phantom. Jesus is no ghost. Jesus is no deity that has some imaginary or ghost-like being or, or body. No, Jesus was flesh. Jesus was blood and flesh and bone. Later in John chapter 20, Thomas, who was not there when Jesus first came, said, I won't believe until, until I can see it, until I can touch it. And then Jesus shows up and says, here I am, Thomas. You want to touch it? You want to touch my hands? You want to touch my side? Here I am. Here I am in the flesh, hands and feet, the wound in his side. Jesus was in fact human. Jesus was in fact God. He really came, he really died, and he really gives eternal life. John knew by objective evidence that Jesus was real, but he also knew it subjectively. He had experienced this, right? He personally had experienced it. He knew what it meant for Jesus to be real. He knew what it meant for Jesus to offer life to him. Verse 2 is included here. In, in some of your Bibles, there, there's a dash right before verse 2, and there's a dash right after verse 2. And what is indicated here is that this is what's called a, a parenthetical statement or parentheses around it. And what's, what's happening here is, it is, is a statement uh, that, that's adding to verse 1. Maybe kind of clarifying some of verse 1. So there's some repetition. Let's read it. It says, the life, that's the word of life that he just talked about in verse 1, was made manifest, and we have seen it, and have testified to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He uses this word manifest twice. The, 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 the life was made manifest. The life was revealed or the life appeared. What's he saying? Jesus is real. That's what he's saying. Jesus really came. He, he was seen. He could be known. He was made visible in the incarnation. When Jesus came as a baby, he came in human form. He was available to be seen. And they did. They, they, they saw him and they testify, the, the apostles. And they bear witness. John chapter 15, verse 27 says, And you also, Jesus saying this to the disciples, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You're going to testify to this because you've actually seen it. But not only did they just see it and testify, but they proclaim. What do they proclaim? They pro that we proclaim to you the eternal life. John was commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel. Every Christian today is commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel as well. But here John is saying, what we have seen, what we have 
test, what we testify about, we also proclaim to you. We tell you this good news. We tell you that there is good news and it's eternal life. We tell you that this life is found in Jesus. Jesus is life. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is life. Whoever has the Son has life, First John 5. What John saw and experienced, what he wanted others to know, is that Jesus was in fact God. Jesus was in fact human, and Jesus was in fact real. And what you and I have experienced, what you and I have, have personally, you might even say subjectively experienced, is what we want other people to know. This is the heart of our witness. This life, this peace that we know through Christ is available. It's available today. Friend, if you're here today, and you're hearing about this Jesus who gives eternal life, we want you to know it's available today. It's available today through this Jesus. It's not just available for, for John. It wasn't just available when Jesus was alive. It's available today. It's available to you who would come to God in repentance and faith. Salvation, the Bible tells us, is by grace. It's not out of merit. You can't earn salvation. It's by grace and it's through faith. We must believe. We must believe. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, though, that, that it's a gift of God. That means that Jesus is the gift and so is the faith. That even that you can believe, God has given you the faith to believe. Jesus is real and his life is available to anyone who would come to him. One writer says eternal life is not just life in terms of length of life, but it's also a Greek term that means the quality of life. Sometimes when we think about eternal life, we just think about what, what's coming. Right? That we have eternal life means we're going we're to last forever. Well, th that's true, but that's not all that it means. Eternal life is not just about existing. It's about fullness. Listen to John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to, to, only to steal and to kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. Eternal life is not just about existing forever. It's about fullness of life that begins now and it lasts forever. The rest of verse two says that Jesus was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Again, the apostles. Jesus was made manifest to the apostles. Three of them on, on the Mount of Transfiguration when they beheld the glory of God in Jesus. This Jesus, John says, was with the Father. Again, speaking to his deity. He was with the Father. That does not mean that he is the Father. Let's be clear. The Bible teaches that there is one God in three persons. One God, three persons. Three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the, the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. Three distinct persons. It matters. It matters to our, to our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. Jesus is God, but he is not the Father. He was with the Father. This speaks to deity. This speaks to eternality. It speaks to that Jesus has always been. Jesus didn't show up at Christmas. Jesus has always been. He was made manifest to us. One pastor says that Jesus was the only man who had a heavenly father, but no heavenly mother. Only man who had an earthly mother, but no earthly father. The only man who was older than his mother, 
and who was as old as his father. That's Jesus. He is human, he is divine, and he is real. John then moves to the purpose of all of this in verse three. That which you have seen and heard. So he, he picks up on verse one. The parenthetical statement is verse two. So if we start in verse one and go right to verse three, John is recapping verse one, if you will. And he, he condenses it down to say, seen and heard. Instead of all the things that he had just said in verse one, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that, why do we proclaim it? Why is he proclaiming this to these readers? So that you too may have fellowship with us, with other Christians, and indeed, what is our fellowship? Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Because Christ is real, we can have fellowship with him and with the Father. Right? John is, is, is making his goal clear, and he's connecting it between, making a connection between the person of Jesus and what we refer to here and what he refers to here as the word fellowship. Now, we have all heard the word fellowship a time or two. If you've been to a church, almost every church has what's called a fellowship hall, right? If you don't go to church, you've probably heard of a, a fellowship hall. When we think of this word, we often think of it as connected to what? Food, right? That's how we think of fellowship. What, what do you fellowship around? You fellowship around food. In just a few minutes, we're going to go outside and we have a picnic and there's going to be food and there's going to be fellowship, as we might refer to it. But technically, the word fellowship has to do with communion. It has to do with partnership. It has to do with a close relationship or a friendship or a genuine spiritual connection, a deep sharing of things that are in common, namely Jesus and the gospel. This objective, uh, this, this objective uh, that, that John had, this idea of fellowship. That's the purpose of the writing, right? So that, I'm writing to these things, so that you would have fellowship. He's writing that again in light of division, in light of the lack of fellowship. So he's saying, we need to get Jesus right. And when we get Jesus right, we can have fellowship one with another and with the Father. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about this in chapter six. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And then his second question is this, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Fellowship only comes, only comes through sonship. Fellowship follows faith. The only way you actually can have fellowship with God is if you know God, if you are a son or daughter of God. The only way you truly have fellowship one another here is if we have a like-minded faith. That's, that's, that's how fellowship actually works. Fellowship is a distinguishing mark of Christianity. It's a mark of Christianity that we have fellowship with God. And how do we have fellowship with God? But through Christ. And because of that, we then have fellowship with one another. See, John is combining this, this horizontal fellowship with the vertical fellowship. Look at it again. So that you may have fellowship with us. That's horizontal. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Because of the fellowship that we have with the Father, we can have fellowship with one another. We actually can't have one without the other. You can't have the fellowship that, that, that the, the Bible talks about with one another if we don't have fellowship with the Father. 
If you don't have fellowship with the Father, you don't actually have fellowship with one another either. They, they are dependent upon one another. Warren Wearsby writes, fellowship has to do with the communion with Christ, not with our union with Christ. Meaning fellowship follows our faith. No faith in Christ, no fellowship with the Father. So this morning, I wonder if you have fellowship today with the Father and with the Son. If you know him, do you actually know him? Have you actually come to the place in your life where you've repented of your sins, where you've trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Do you know God as Father? Do you know him today? If you don't, you can. You say, I don't know that, I don't know fellowship with God. I don't know communion with God. I don't know participation with God or sharing with God as my Father. I don't, I don't have a personal relationship with God or Jesus. You can. You can. Whosoever will come. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And by believing the gospel, what does that mean? That means that we become the, a child of God. No one is born into the family of God on their own. They're, they're born only through God. Only, only by coming to God. For whosoever will may come. John has more to say on the matter of fellowship, which we'll look at next week. But his second purpose comes in verse 4. You can see it there. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See it again? Verse 3 says, so that the fellowship, now so that our joy may be full. Now some of your Bibles might say our joy. Some of your Bibles might say your joy might be full. There's some questions about which word should be there. Either way, what John is saying in essence is what uh, James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce says, is that his joy, that's the apostles' joy, was, was their joy. That, that them having joy was him having joy. Right? Because, because you're joyful, I am joyful. The Bible has much to say about joy. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. John chapter 17, verse 13, But now I am coming to you, that these things I speak in the world, that you may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. One writer says, joy is the quality or a quality, not a simple emotion. Grounded, this quality is grounded upon God himself, indeed derived from God, and it characterizes the Christian's life on earth and also anticipates what is to come in the future, the joy of being with Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven. How is joy made full? It's made full by having genuine fellowship with the Father through Christ and with one another. Fellowship and joy, John says, go together. We have fellowship with one another because of Christ. We have joy because of the fellowship that we have with Christ. So I ask you, do you have joy today? Our former pastor was fond of the definition of joy being a deep-seated sense of knowing how well off I really am a deep-seated sense of knowing how well-off I really am. Do you know how well-off you really are, Christian? Do you know that, that, that in this life, this is, this is the worst that it gets to here? 
The best is yet to come. The future is much brighter than the past. Another commentator writes, joy is the presence of Jesus in our lives by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Which means unless you have the Spirit, you don't have joy. Not the joy the Bible talks about. Not the joy of knowing that you're right with God. Not the joy of knowing when you lay your head on your pillow at night that the God is smiling upon you. Not the joy of knowing that your condemnation has been removed through Christ. John's letter was meant to help believers walk in light and in love. These are two big themes that we'll see throughout this study. Because Jesus has appeared, because he was manifest, because he has really come, because he is God in the flesh, we who know him can have fellowship with him and the Father and with one another, which brings the spiritual blessing of joy. And so where are you finding joy today? Have you ever noticed that so many of the places that we look for joy never satisfy. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that the relationships that you, you, you seek to fill your life up with aren't actually holding the weight? Have you noticed all the hobbies in the world don't satisfy? Have you noticed that the bank account, good or bad, doesn't hold the water? Have you noticed that the job, the promotion, it doesn't last? It doesn't bring about what you so desire. There's only one way for you to have joy. All those things are broken cisterns. There's only one that actually holds the water. The pathway to joy is through fellowship with God. And this fellowship is through his son. In the presence of God, the psalmist says, is fullness of joy. In the presence of God. Christian, God lives with you. His presence is with you. So what does that mean? The joy of the Lord is with you. The joy of the Lord is to be your strength. Why? Because the Lord is with you. The presence of God is with you. And in that presence is fullness of joy. You can have joy this morning. Jesus, the word of life, the, who is God in flesh, has come to give life to all who would repent and believe. And for those who have fellowship, joy awaits them both now and and one day in full. One day in full. Can't wait, right? The joy that is to come. But the joy we have now is only an anticipation of what is yet to come. And so we thank God for Jesus this morning. The one who came, the one who was seen, the one who was heard, the one who was looked upon, the one who was made manifest, testified, and proclaimed to us so that we too could have life we too could have fellowship with the Father and we too could have joy for now and for all of time. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to us to be for us what we could not be or do. We could not be our own savior. Some of us have tried. Some of us have been on a, on a self-salvation attempt and we have failed. We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't pray enough. We can't do enough. Yet, Father, in your, your kindness, you sent your un, one and only Son 
should be born of a virgin, live as a, a human, taking on flesh. God in the flesh, living the perfect life, dying the necessary death that we deserve for our sin, taking on himself our sin so that we might have life. Life through his death. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who hears of this Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe not for the first time, but would recognize this morning that they don't know this Jesus. They do not have fellowship with this Jesus. They've not experienced this Jesus. They don't know him. They might know about him, but they don't know him. So God, I pray even this morning that they would see Jesus for who he is, the Savior they need. They would hear the words of Jesus to repent and to believe. Whosoever will may come. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God, would you, even now, give faith to those who sit here who know that they're a sinner and recognize even today that Jesus had to die for their sin. Would you give them faith to believe, faith to cry out this morning, in repentance, confessing Jesus and believing on him to be the savior they need. For those who have done that, God, this morning, may we rejoice in the good news of Jesus again, recognizing that, that Jesus isn't just, just for saving, he is for living. He's not just for this life, but he's for the next. That the gospel is is both what saves and what keeps. Coming to know him means to have fellowship with him. May we enjoy that fellowship today and with one another. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh God, you are-